Trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat for Halloween. Better give a treat that's good to eat if you want to keep life serene. Trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat the whole night through. Little scalawags with fiendish gags can make it tough on you. Welcome to Barks Remarks, where we discuss the adventure-length stories of Carl Barks, the legendary comic book artist and writer of the greatest Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge comic stories of all time. As you can tell from our atypical opener, we get to talk about a very unique story today, the Donald Duck comedic adventure, Trick or Treat. I'm very excited to do so. I being Mark Severino, a grown man who enjoys duck comics. I'm going to introduce my guests and ask them if they've still got the uh, opening theme to the cartoon in their head. Uh, Warren, how about you? Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Yes, I can't get it out of my head. Um, if it were October, I feel a little better about having it in my head. But yeah, that uh, I watched the uh, cartoon, the 1952 uh, Jack Hanna cartoon, several times in preparation for this. Yeah, it's it's not as bad as it's a small world, but it's close. Good to be it's here again. Again, I'm a longtime Barks collector and always happy to be on this on this uh, this podcast. Yeah, it's definitely a catchy little ditty. How about you, Sarah? You know, I don't, but I can't sing you the song that <laughs> I have in my head because you don't um, you want to keep your like not explicit rating. It's from TikTok, but it's you know a double entendre. I, maybe maybe TikTok will um, discover trick or treat at some point. Weirder things. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, they could have fun with it. You guys, I'm I'm so excited to do this episode because this is such a unique and and weird and and strange story and situation in kind of Carl Barks' history and and his works. Um, and we don't get to talk enough, I think, about the the short cartoons. Like you, I rewatched this one, but it's on Disney Plus. And so um, because I rewatched it on Disney Plus with my kids around, I ended up rewatching it many, many, many times because <laughs> my nearly three-year-old, every time it finished, would, would jump up and say, again, again. Again, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> But I love that short cartoon. I really do. I think that I may have even watched it before I read the comic. And I, I try to watch it every Halloween or so. And it's it's nice that it's just widely available on both Disney Plus and YouTube. So, um, listener, it is required homework for this episode. We, we are going to be talking a lot about the animated short that Carl Barks adapted this story from in a, in a pretty strange roundabout process. So um, if you haven't recently seen it or never seen it, do yourself a favor, pause it, take the like, I don't think it's even seven minutes long, right guys? It's about, eight, it actually is about eight minutes. So it's a seven, seven to eight minute short cartoon. It's a classic. I, I too, Mark, uh, saw the cartoon before I read the comic. So uh, uh, that that's my memory of it as a child is to see this cartoon. Sarah, had you seen the cartoon beforehand? I don't think you watched a lot of the Disney shorts. No, um, I was a Garfield and Charlie Brown Halloween girl. Oh, I watched that very many times. I can probably like talk along with it. it. I just, those are stuck in my brain. Somehow I missed this one. 
don't How think did it, it air like, originally? Well, it, it would have been. Warren, you want to tell us how it would have aired? Well, it would have actually been a theatrical short uh, in the movie theaters uh, prior prior to the feature film uh, being uh, screened in late 1952 because the, the storyboard was written in, in February of 52, and that's when Barks was sent the, the storyboards. He had no film to watch to be inspire him. He was in process while the film was being made. He was in process adapting his version of it. Yeah, those those shorts, the cartoon shorts were were big business. They were theatrical. It, it seems weird to think of them now, right? Because like I would have encountered this on VHS. Um, I remember like literally the video store that I rented it at the first time. But the, these were theatrical. They were projected uh, the film on on a movie screen, just just like the Looney Tunes ones were originally before they kind of got their second life of being rerun and aired endlessly on TV. But you know, this was never like a Halloween special that would have aired on one of the big networks, or anything. right? Yeah. So this this is a really interesting situation, right? Warren, you you alluded to it a little bit. Tell us about how this comic oh. came about. Well, it's my understanding that as the storyboard was being developed in the Disney world, in the Disney studios, uh, it became apparent that Jack Hanna, who, by the way, teamed up with Carl Barks 10 years earlier for Fines Pirate Gold. Um, so they, the editors at Western, along with Disney, kind of collaborated and said, let's, let's just do this grand Halloween celebration with the short feature at uh, Trick or Treat. Uh, and uh, let's have uh, a comic book come out at the same time. So the storyboards were packaged up and sent over to Western and the editors there. Uh, Alice Cobb was the senior editor and and uh, gave those to Carl Barks and said, here, here's a storyboard. Produce a, I believe intentionally, I think they originally rather, they had originally intended to do a 32-page comic, but there just wasn't enough material in the in the cartoon to do it. And we'll get into that as we go through the comic. But yeah, it was one of those like early examples of synergy, cross-promotion. Cross-promotion, correct, yeah. And and it's kind of weird that Barks wasn't, um, you know, referencing a finished product or anything like that. So you, you can kind of tell when you consume both of them that it's almost like he was listening to someone around the corner talking about... Um, something that they were watching. Um, I think so. I think it was that experience and his own experience with the way he crafted the comic book was in his storyboard format. He had storyboards from another source that he had to adapt. And I think that was the challenge for him was to make it make it interesting, but keep the idea alive. And uh, that's right. where the tension started coming in between the editors. And, and again, as we look through the story and walk through it, we'll point out those glaring differences between the animated feature and, and the story. Right. Yeah. And that's going to be an interesting thing to talk about. Um, if, if anyone was up to the challenge of doing this, it's Carl Barks, right? Because right. Um, he he's a comics genius, but he also had this very long animation background working with uh, storyboards, um, writing gags. As you mentioned, he worked with Jack Hanna. So this is like almost a reunion, although obviously they didn't actually get to like meet with each other or work, work with each other again. And right. Uh, but yeah, it would have been great in a way if they had collaborated on this. That would have been yeah. cool. And I, right. and I was a little disappointed. I'll just say it right now. And now I understand the sequence of events. It would have been great to have Carl Barks get a credit on the film, but he had nothing to do with the film. So 
I get it. Right. So was Jack Hannah like Hannah Barbera, like that same Hannah? Or um, I know the name Jack Hannah from something else too. Didn't he it's do also like the name of a wildlife? Yeah. Right. No, no I, I. It's I not. Don't think so it's the a same. different Jack Hannah. He stayed with Disney for quite a while. Right. W- William Hannah is the William Hannah and Joseph Barbera. Those. But there's the a few oh. famous Hannahs in animation, clearly. Um. So you guys, as we go through, there's there's a, quite a few things to think about, right? We can kind of talk about which, um, wh- whether the comic or the animated short is more successful. Um, we can talk about. Um, we are, you know, mostly interested in the comic today, but I'm I'm very interested in this as like a comparison between the two of them. And I love the animated short. I think it's just, I think it's a delight. I think it's incredibly watchable. Um, it's brisk. I don't love it the way, like, I don't feel the same relationship between the shorts that I do the comics, but I, I find them very enjoyable and especially like classic, you know, traditional animation is, is like a thing of the past these days. It's either done very cheap or very rarely in favor of CGI. So I just, I love seeing these wonderfully painted hand and hand-drawn backgrounds and genuine like set animations, like, animation that uses cells and the the kind of real hands-on craftsmanship that you don't just you just don't see that much anymore i think the biggest uh, the biggest pleasure for me in in watching the film and then reading the comic several times was how the brilliance of carl barks was able to add important dialogue in the comic that the film couldn't and where the film moved so much in terms of action and sequence and gags that was brilliant you're right mark Uh, the colors the music the you know but but with clarence nash voicing donald duck there wasn't a lot of dialogue in the cartoons but carl barks had that because he could write all that dialogue so you didn't have to worry about the what did that duck say uh problem so i i kind of like that comparison between the book and the movie because i think it they complement each other and you know kudos to carl barks for taking the source material which was already fun and i think making it a little bit different if not better i was a big fan of the witch's character development maybe not development but just portrayal we we you know i love a, a strong female character and um she really had a lot more substance in in the way that barks can give substance to a two-dimensional drawing with three lines of words, right? He can just, he is just amazing at that. And and The Witch was a really great example of that between the cartoon and the book. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Sarah. She feels much more like realized in, in the comic. I mean, everyone feels a bit more realized because it has more room to breathe. But um, she just, she feels kind of like a force of nature in the cartoon and in this one she's like she's the main character which is pretty interesting Mm so um she is almost certainly bark's strongest female character (laughs) in any of his comics that might be a controversial thing to say in some regards loyal for uh, for donald duck no question about it and uh and i love it that she's an advocate for the kids and you know typically the kids are clever enough to get get to donald but they need a little help this time and uh, she's very happy to help them out in that way so yeah that was she's a she's a fun foil 
Yeah, cartoon nephews are much like they're they're a little bit more simplistic. They're not mm-hmm. as clever, That's and true. and they're also usually brattier. So Barks has to kind of lower them in terms of like their involvement, but um, but I think he he balances it pretty nicely. This seems like a good moment to talk about Witch Hazel. I love Witch Hazel. I think she's just such a fun character. I always think of her like mentally as a Barks character, even though technically, you know, she was created for the short. But I, I love his version of her in this. And it's really interesting what happened later. Did Warren... um did you happen to like read about kind of the Looney Tune connection there? That character in Witch Hazel, who who I associate with Trick or Treat, it also shows up in some Bugs Bunny cartoons, or at least a version of her. And so I don't know the background on that. If that was just an animator's uh, over drinks at a bar saying, "Hey, I'm going to borrow your witch," uh, said the Warner Brothers car- animators. To yeah, the- they they did. They they just they just grabbed her. They snatched her from the short. I um, love it. I was wondering how that happened. You know, basically they felt they could get away with it because like Witch Hazel is is a product name or it's it's a plant name, I guess. But everyone associates right, the, right. the the thing that's in your medicine cabinet. And and they were like, well, you can't copyright that. And so they, they went and got her and they went and got her uh, her voice actor as well. June Foray. Yeah. So June Foray didn't do her in the very first Bugs Bunny cartoon. Okay, but but in, in Trick or Treat, certainly. Right, she did. The great June Foray. Do you, are you familiar, Sarah, with June Foray? I'm not. So she, she is, she's a legend. <laughs> legend. Um, she did Rocky the Squirrel and mm-hmm. a, a number of Walk on Looney Tunes voices and other voices. But she she's like animation voice actor royalty. I, my dad always talks about like a family friend of ours was very bitter that she got, she was on tap to do the voice for Rocky the Squirrel and June Foray like auditioned after her and, you know, snatched the role up. But um I didn't. Oh, but, no. but yeah, he 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 randomly made friends with this old like silver screen voice actor named Lucille Bliss, who did like Smurfette and one of the sisters from Cinderella. Um, so she wow. she would kind of hang around our house every once in a while, which was pretty <laughs> neat. That is very, very cool. Yeah. It was fun, but but admittedly, June Foray is is amazing, and um, eventually would would Witch Hazel from Looney Tunes is more famous, I'd say, mm-hmm. just because she appeared in multiple cartoons. She did, and I actually like the way she's animated with the Warner Brothers style. I think she's uh, uh again the foil for Donald is a little different than the foil for Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck, and I just thought it was uh, I just love that version, the Warner Brothers version. But they are uh, they are akin. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so the story itself, right? We've mentioned that it was in 1952. This is considered Bark's golden age. So it's interesting that, like, let's acknowledge this is not as strong by by quite a bit as most of his stories from around this era. It, it's not a typical story. This is not something that he sat down and used his own creative juice to come up with. This was an this was an editor's assignment, and mm-hmm. he I think he definitely made it work. But um, it's it's a comedy, really. It's not an adventure. You know, most of these thirty two pagers are much more exciting, much more adventurous. Uh, this was published in Donald Duck number. 
26. And that and that's notable because this is our first. So um, it's not a four color story. Uh, Donald Duck's been spun off into his own title. And um, Warren, you were asking me about the numbering. Yeah, I was confused. I I, uh, I I go around my room in my my duck room here that I have. I count up all my four colors and I get to the Gilded Man and I count number 24. And then there's no number 25. I know there's not a Donald Duck number 25. It's so so I don't know what happened. Uh, Mark, do you have anything on that? Well, and my understanding is it's just one of those whoops. I don't remember where I read it, but I think I think they just miscounted, you know, and and they just got the numbering off. So I'll buy that. So, I think that's yeah. a good way to go, and uh, not not dwell on that so much. But I think it's uh, it's great that uh, as he started up the Uncle Scrooge series, uh, where he really put all his efforts after the four color, his contribution to the Donald Duck stories was kind of winding down, and uh, this is one of those last ones before other artists went in there. Yeah, I guess there's just going to be a couple more stories that mm-hmm. make make it for Donald. Donald Duck is long form. Mm-hmm. Sarah, did you did you reflect a little bit on the golden Christmas tree at all? It did. I have such a poor memory that I didn't make the kind of like detailed connections, but I did kind of get like a general vibe of like, oh, there's a witch in this one, and it's different than the one in the golden Christmas tree. And Donald is different. You know, the the ones that you've given me, it's been kind of hard to develop, like, except for like the consistency of Carl Barks being amazing. It's been hard for me to develop a sense of like how Donald is supposed to act, how witches exist in this universe, you know? Yeah, I just think about the fact that, oh, this is another editor assignment. And this is another story that kind of shoehorns a witch in his universe doesn't really, it's gonna have a witch. Um, we're going to have an awesome witch introduced in a, in a couple of years in the Uncle Scrooge series, but she is going to be dramatically different from the kind of classic witch of the tropes. Um, I'm talking about Magic of the Spell, by the oh, way, Sarah. You you might know her from DuckTales. I remember that from yeah. DuckTales. So she's... She's a Barks creation. And it's interesting that like he was made to use the witch from Snow White. It felt very shoehorned to me in Golden Christmas Tree. And and here he's made to use Witch Hazel. And and it also feels shoehorned, but she's such a like sort of daffy character. Um, she has kind of this like energy that I think fits better with Bark's vibe. What do you guys think about Witch Hazel? I'm a fan. She she takes on all, all of the traits that I'm usually like shaking my fist at and um, she meets them in this really interesting way and she's like, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Also, be nice to these kids. I'm their protector. Yeah, right. yeah. I like even, that. Even though you're you're her guardian, I'm their protector. <laughs> right. And I and I and I will say I as as much as you know, if you look at the whole canon of witches in the Disney vault, there's no question that Witch Hazel is that incredible foil for Donald almost on that energy level. I loved what you said about energy as it, and artistically drawn. She's just a caricature of every witch that you would think of, but um, she certainly is, is in a league of her own 
uh, when it comes to comparing her to the other witches that we see in Snow White and some of the other classic Grimm's Brothers fairy tales. I, I think that it's interesting. Again, the storyboards from the Disney Studios provided Barks with the art that he was going to adapt. It would have been interesting to see what Barks would have done on his own if he right. would have done that. And um, I'm glad you mentioned Magic and Dispel because she's one of my favorite characters, the sorceress, as she's known. I, I just love it. But I like Witch Hazel, but I think Witch Hazel is is this chaotic energy, smart as a whip. I mean, look at look at her her potions and her Shakespearean uh, education. And uh, yeah, she's, like she's said, a lot she's, of fun. She's so much fun. She's looking after the boys. What do you guys think? Where does she rank kind of in the pantheon of Disney witches, right? Does anyone have a favorite witch they want to go to bat for? I'm a classic animation fan. My my, uh, I, you can't beat the the cunning and the the witch in Snow White. So witch hazel is is really more of a caricature of witches, and and really uh, Barks had very little to do with the creation of witch hazels. What what do you think, Sarah? You know, I don't think I could answer that question without about three days to prepare so that I could research all the various witches and then consult some of my friends who are actual witches for like, yeah. how good is this representation? Uh, well, we, we got what, like Warren mentioned the evil queen from Snow White. You got Maleficent, of course, the, the big one. Boy, who else was there? Well, there's Ursula the Sea Witch. In, oh yeah, in the Ursula the Sea Witch. In little true. Well, I'll hit you guys with my three. I'm going to say that. Okay, go. I actually do put her, I do put Witch Hazel in my top three. I am a big fan. You called her chaotic more, and that's kind of perfect. I love her chaotic energy. And and she does get used a lot in later comics by like some of the Italian creators. And I know that Pat Block, who was on here mm -hmm. a few episodes ago, he got to do a couple of stories <laughs> featuring her. Um, so I, I really like Witch Hazel. Do love me some Magicka Dispel. You know, she's she's great. One of my favorite villains. But um, my all-time favorite Disney witch is a little bit of a wild card choice. I love Mad Madam Mim from uh, The oh, Sword, Sword and the Stone. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. There's a reference. Yo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She she is a hoot. Do, do you remember her, Sarah? That is a deep cut, but I do remember a, just a, an energy. Yeah. I don't remember specifics, but I have an impression that oh. she's made in my mind. She's great. She's wild. I do too. Wow. All right. So let's see. A little bit more... Um, this one's been printed, reprinted quite a few times. Um, it's uh, Counting the original printing, there have been 11 of them. Just briefly pandering to some international listeners, we've got a, a fun title from Brazil. It was originally called A Noite das Brujas, a night of the night of witches. And um, in, in most of the languages, it does seem like they kept kind of the trick-or-treat title. You know, in, in German, it's... Spendieren oder schikanieren, um, which is donate or bully, which I guess must be their their equivalent of trick or treat. So that that is definitely fun. Donate or bully. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. Wow. <laughs> donate or bully, or I'll bully you. <laughs> and I like in Spain. 
Um, I've got una bruja pesadilla or truco o trato. Have you heard that trick or treat term before, Sarah? Truco o trato? No, I mean, that makes sense. Una, then, um, una, una bruja pesadilla. Not quesadilla. Pesadilla. Yeah. What does that mean? A nightmare witch. Oh. That's, that's great. I really like that one. I think that one's fun. All right, you guys, let's uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about the story itself. The, the only thing I would say, Mark, as you as you start out with the comic, is that the opening title of the the opening sequence of the animated cartoon compared to the original page and a half, if you want me to talk about that appeared in Donald Duck number 26, compared to DeBarks' original version, there's three very distinct different openings to the comic and the story. That might bear some mentioning. Yeah, you're right. Um, thanks for mentioning it. Like, before we actually jump in, we didn't really talk about how this got, like, butchered. The So, so we should mention right now, you know, the, the original... Warren, tell us a little bit about the original presentation of, of the story. Sure. The, the, the animated cartoon, again, which was the inspiration for Barks's story uh, opened with this uh, uh, shot of Witch Hazel in the sky on her broom. And the the in the foreground, it was more fence posts and darkness. You could maybe make out a, a headstone on a graveyard, but you had to really look fast if you were going to find that. But when Barks got the storyboard that he said, no, I'm going to make my opening page more ominous. I think it needs to be a bigger splash panel. And the graveyard in his original art was extremely prominent in the foreground. Well, that troubled the editor greatly. And and you've got this witch and it's too ominous and it's and the and the typing, even trick or treat, was in red it could be misinterpreted as blood and it was just too gruesome it's uh, creepy it's spooky it's it's a cool yeah. opening so that's what happened and so then alice cobb said you're going to have to cut that panel and we want you to create another opening which features the nephews painting trick or treat the title on the window of donald's house then then of course it's all fun because you see donald enjoying himself in that page and a half which originally appeared in in donald duck number 26 was finally eventually replaced uh, with the Barks' original work. So you've got this controversy right off the bat about how we're going to introduce the Halloween story. Well, and that editor didn't just cut that out. So Sarah, what what happened is I've sent you the the like full scan. You, you get to read the story in its original glory, and that's pretty much how people view it as it's supposed to be. But technically, when it was originally published, it was hacked down to Warren. Was it twenty three pages? Yeah, it was twenty three, and then they added uh, uh, a twenty fourth page uh, later. Yeah, it was a it was a mess. They cut a lot of of the like fun stuff that Barks added to kind of stretch out the story, right? So Correct. she didn't like a lot of it, including my buddy Smorgie the Bad, which I think is a crime. Right. Yeah. So let's do it. We're going to talk about the story. Warren, you've you've already introduced it really nicely. Just just that the story opens just like the cartoon the with this witch that we're going to learn is Witch Hazel flying around a spooky Halloween night, shrieking um, and generally scaring animals, even inanimate objects, seemingly. And, and we get introduced to her as well as her broom, Beelzebub. And in the comic, you know, she's reveling in her ability to scare things. Um, she scares a black cat. Uh, and, then, and then she attempts to even scare a pumpkin. 
but the pumpkin turns around and it, it, it turns out to be a jack-o'-lantern on a post that's being held by one of the nephews. Sarah, do you want to tell us about how the boys are dressed? Sure. Although I did have a question. I could recognize the pilgrim and the little devil with the, you know, the pitchfork and the horns. Um, but one of them is dressed in like some kind of yellow. Oh, but no. that third nephew is in a ghost or a goblin. Okay. I, I take that as a kind of a sheet that they're wearing to look like a ghost. Okay. See how much of a, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown girl I am. I thought that I, I thought wouldn't have never played to me as a ghost because I'm so stuck in the ghosts from the Charlie Brown Halloween special. Well, and and you mentioned pilgrim, but I always read that as a witch. Well, I think I think Sarah's looking at the hat, and I think it's it looks like your traditional pilgrim hat. So when she said that, it's funny. I never really really called out the characters. I I, I do see the uh, resemblance to one of the nephews being a witch. Well, you know, and that was kind of something I wanted to bring up was how our like witch mania really started with the pilgrims and tying back to James the sixth, the slash first of the United Kingdom and how he set the country off burning witches and blah, blah, blah. And, and why clothing from that era is used to depict witches in right. our modern times. He has a collar though. And that's why it reads as pilgrim to me instead of as witch. I mean, I, I think it's definitely supposed to look like a sort of a Salem era witch right so i i think i think that sort of pilgrim overtone is deliberate but that's my thought i think it's supposed to look like one of the witches that was you know accused of witchcraft at salem right but but that's interesting that you read it that way and and yeah the ghost to me is kind of stylized like the ghosts in the old disney shorts like like lonesome ghosts so that's why i read it immediately like that and i should mention too that hazel references um briefly that she hears that earth folks don't believe in us witches anymore um that she wants to do something about that and, and it's also notable that the kids are singing the tune the, the incredibly catchy tune from the cartoon. And, and I, as I read the, about this, Mark and Sarah, I, I noticed that this is where Carl Barks felt to talk a little bit about what the cartoon didn't do, have that narrative from Witch Hazel. So he added that so we would get a little background. But he also knew that that catchy tune would be, make great little appearances throughout the book as well. Right. So so it's it's a cute little interaction, right? The, the trick-or-treat. We only get one trick-or-treat interaction before um, they're going to encounter Donald, right? She mm -hmm. calls them goblins, which I guess mm -hmm. is kind of the stand-in for for scary creatures that you know yeah. in the fifties. And it, it it's do you guys find it pretty weird that they're treating Donald's house as though it's not their home in this short? I could not figure this out at all. I was really puzzled by that because they're going to Donald Duck's house, but it should be yeah. there. So yeah, I was yeah. a little taken by that. I, I think that both the cartoon and the comic, they just, they want to tell this story. And, and so both of them, uh, Carl Barks didn't have any choice, I'm guessing, because of the structure of the cartoon. But it's weird and it's a little bit distracting um, and it doesn't work, right? Because like, as a kid, one of the first things I did when I got home after trick-or-treating was dump the rest of the remaining candy that my parents had into my own Halloween bag. So, like, but he needs, this is a Donald versus 
the nephew's story. And so he how, needs them to be at loggerheads. How often do those happen? I was shocked as a kind of, you know, you know, I'm the newbie. You know, this is right. my first time reading these. And I was like, the, why is he being a jerk? I didn't understand his motivation. It, I thought he was acting more kind of like arbitrarily like Scrooge than like himself. It didn't fit with, with anything I'd seen before like you know and and then as Warren mentioned it appeared as if he didn't live with them okay. yeah it's 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 weird you asked about that there's a lot of Donald versus the nephew's stories I think it's mostly a holdover from the cartoons right because that was the premise for a lot of these but I would say it probably a good like 20% of his stories have them just outright at odds with each other. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. The duck in the iron pants comes to mind is probably the greatest one. I know it's one of your favorites, Mark, and yeah, just to fun. see them, see them go at it with each other. But what I like about what Barks did was that this is really true to the film right now. The storyboards are really following these opening pages very, very closely, mm -hmm. but not only is Barks adding his own narrative to give the reader a little bit more context, but he also created the, these extra panels of a typical trick-or-treat relationship with one of the neighbors. As you said, Sarah, it was cute. It was just like uh, a traditional Halloween would have been back in the early 50s. Um, and this is where Witch Hazel has an opportunity to say, oh, look at that. She says, uh, how long has this racket been going on? You know, so she she gets to see what she is kind of fascinated by until they go to the next house. Now, in the animated feature, it starts out with Donald, I believe. So it, right. it goes right there. And that's where the action starts and stops. Yeah. So, Warren, why don't you go ahead and tell us about the interaction with Donald there? Yeah. So so as the boys leave uh, and, and they... They, they kindly tip their hat and thank the, the neighbor. Uh, they venture on to Uncle Donald's house is the next one. Doesn't say our house, but Uncle Donald's house. Yeah. So let's go over there. He's got lots of candy. And so there's where they're singing the theme song. I, I love that. Uh, and Donald is reading a book and he looks annoyed, but he's prepared. This is another thing that, is, Sarah, you brought it up, is what is on his mind here? Does he just want to abuse kids all night? I mean, what's going on here? But he says, I've been uh, right. all set for such visitors. And uh, that evil look on his face when he's lighting the firecrackers and hiding them behind his back. And as they so innocently say, trick or treat, I've got a surprise for you. And just like in the cartoon, uh, he pops them in each bag and they all explode. This takes Witch Hazel by complete surprise, but he's not done. Uh, he continues with the water gag over the head where he pulls the, the string uh, in the pail of water, drenches all three of the nephews. He's having a blast at this kind of sad situation. I mean, what, what is going on here? And this is where they eventually uh, meet Witch Hazel. Uh, Mark, I know that you're, you'll take it from here, but I, I just thought it was an interesting sequence. A little troubling, Donald. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Donald's Donald's a jerk in this one. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a of a sour note. What a jerk he is. I think. Well, typically, yeah. abuse, Sarah. Warren used the word that was rolling around in the back of my head: abuse. Like this, he's abusing these children, and in my head, I was thinking if he. It doesn't seem like he has custody of them right now, and he absolutely doesn't deserve it. <laughs> yeah, th this really is born out of the animated shorts. Yeah. Right? Like, th this this was kind of the the style. This was kind of what, what they did. It was broad slapstick, and, and if you take it literally... That's that it's definitely abusive. Take how you take how you want the fact that this was viewed as 
high comedy. Transitioning to Hazel meeting the kids, I find it a little bit awkward how they just kind of point at her and say, look, a real witch. And, and that's kind of enough for her. Oh, joy, you know, thou doth, thou do believeth in witches. And, and so just for that, she's going to help them get candy, right? And we're just into this little slapstick comedic story. And the next, the next few segments of the story are really going to be all, it's a cartoon printed on page. And that may not work that well for you. You know, like it's a fun story, but it, it can only be as good as the cartoon it can, it can only be as good as a cartoon on paper works. So I think I think the parts where Barks diverged a bit are actually going to be the most entertaining um, going forward. And I don't need to go into like gruesome detail about everything that she he does. You know, he like he pulls the water trick on her. He pulls her supposed rubber nose. He knocks her down the steps and, and she just gets really mad. And we we go into this cute sequence where she's going to do the thing that witches do, right? Witches do best. They they bubble up a cauldron of magic potion. I, I love this sequence in the cartoon. I really like this sequence in the story. I love, um, I love the little rhyme. You know, it starts out as the Shakespearean rhyme, but then, but then he extends it past, that's Macbeth, right? It's the it witch is from Macbeth. Yes. So he extends the, the Macbeth um, double, double toil and trouble or the animators do. Um, it's, it's such a fun little, do you want to read us the, um, do you want to read us the incantation, Sarah? Double, double toil and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble, eye of needle, tongue of shoe, hand of clock that points to two, neck of bottle, tail of coat, and whiskers from ye billy goat. And I, I, I love how he transitions that. I, I like this silly little segment where he's like, okay, I'm going to pat it out. I'm going to explain how they get the whiskers from the billy goat. Um, I like this that is too. the. This is the best part with the nephews, right? This Barks part where the nephews are like kind of low-key arguing with each other over, over who has to sacrifice their one shirt tail to give to their country. <laughs> that's that's a funny line. Um, one nephew paints glue onto the other nephew's rear end and, and lets the goat do what goats do best, ram him, butt him in the butt. <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, get some of the get some of his whiskers that way this is the and, first time barks's uh art and storytelling comes in on his own you're right i mean this is the the first of three huge examples in the story that he was able to employ his own brand of humor and writing and it's brilliant with the three boys yeah it's it's very strong it's it's a fun part of this lightweight um goofy atypical story and and i love how hazel stares at the whiskers and says ah repulsive i believe she does that <laughs> i like the, that in the cartoon too right yeah that's the tip of the iceberg for the when she drops it gently into the cauldron and of course the human. oh yeah we get a great animated explosion and a great drawn explosion in the comic um and and just her look of delight oh i love the panel that he he translated the line of dialogue directly where she says kids this stuff's loaded but on the comic she just has this like ecstatic wild look that that 
that's one of my favorite panels right there. Yeah, and the color, colorful background with the bubbles in the in the bottom. And yeah, it's just it's brilliant. And and so the next sequence is fun, right? She sucks up um, a little dispenser, one of those old style, um, one of those old spray things, and she scoops up the kids on her broom, so they they nervously get a ride. And uh, and the next few sequences are going to be about the different ways that she uses the witch's brew to try to get to get the candy from Donald. Donald is going to um, take some time to enjoy his hard-earned, selfishly earned candy. Well, this is where Barks, uh, again, wanted to uh, basically let the readers know that uh, through Donald's dialogue is that he's now settling in and he has peace and quiet in his life. The motivation for, possibly the motivation for his wanting to get rid of the trick-or-treaters the way he did was so that he could just have a peaceful evening instead of just right. turning off the lights and going to the basement. Yeah, and and this next part of the story, it, it should be really cool, right? Because we've got all these like Halloween creatures coming to life, but I can't help but think about how much better this works in the cartoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is this is the highlight of the cartoon, I would say, right, where the witch is flying around. Uh, We've got that great catchy little earworm of a theme playing. She's spraying different things with uh, her brew. They're coming to life, doing supernatural stuff. Sarah, what's your favorite of the little, you know, witch's brew moments here? I like the the ghosts that played a a gate like a liar. Mm -hmm. I thought that was. That was cute and clever. What about you, Warren? Did you have a favorite of these little moments? Well, I, I agree that the animated sequence tied to the song so well. So when the word ghost re- re- uh, rhymes with post, you could see that transformation take place. The magical paintbrush, um, even calling out the color green, was very clear in the song lyrics. And I think just the the, the part in the animated feature, what I loved was when the paintbrush just went by Donald's face. So I, I would say of those two, I'm going to agree with Sarah. I like the I like the introduction of those ghosts. They're very uh, reminiscent of Lonesome Ghosts in a way. Yeah. And this sequence, like, it's very... I... I can't help but compare it to the cartoon just because the the words oh, yeah. get the song stuck in my head and it it looks great on animated page and it just looks bland and static as as nice as his some of his drawings are of like the jack-o'-lantern leaping wildly at him but yeah hazel is going around singing the song itself um i'm gonna plop some of the song in right here because it needs to be heard <laughs> trick or treat trick or treat trick or treat for halloween when the pumpkin shells cast evil spell your little white house turns green every post is a ghost if you got a witch's brew and if you want your gate to circulate oh we can do that too um i do love the absolutely wild panel Mm. onto the next page of like all of the different ghosts and goblins lining up to terrorize Donald. That wild one that has a nose with a, a finger that can ring the doorbell is pretty cool. Yeah. That's pure barks, isn't it, Mark? I mean, that was right. not an animated uh, cartoon. That's yeah, I believe beautiful. that's right. And, um, you know, when Donald finally dares to open the door, for whatever reason, he's instead greeted by Hazel, who, you know, has successfully kind of pushed, terrorized him into giving up the candy. 
until he references her, until she references him being a pushover. And he, he just takes, yeah, he takes such umbrage at that, that he gives her the bums rush. And, uh, and, you know, we get, we get this escalation here where they've got to keep trying. They've got to keep using the witch's brew. You want to tell us about the pretty girl sequence, Sarah? <laughs> Okay, so the, the witch uses some of that all-purpose spray and turns herself into like a, you know, the 1950s children's comic version of a sexy woman duck uh-huh. um, and goes in to uh, ring the doorbell and get his attention. And and so it works on him because he's kind of a poor simpleton in this, in this episode. And my notes were, ew, Donald. this is Um, a pretty dusty old cliche what i thought was interesting in this sequence was that she uses the spray on herself so his reactions are all his right he's he's given all of that to her himself with no magical assistance or or coercion and um she gets all him to give her all of the candy yeah how, how about that little uh flirtatious nickname cuddle dove is that what you wrote you about <laughs> no just the woo woo woo, woo, woo with the little woo. hearts the <laughs> yeah. little hearts coming out from him and his cross-eyed leaning over off balance I like the kind of era-specific list of candies, right? Bonbons and caramels and gumdrops and candied almonds. What do you think of this, Warren? Well, when she transforms into this duck, uh, female duck, uh, the first thing I thought of was, oh, she's turning into Daisy. Well, it's not quite Daisy. There's actually a a bit of magic and dispel in that face, if you take a look at the eyes and even yeah. the nose in that first panel. So what we have here is a sorceress, a witch, who's becoming kind of a beautiful witch, if you want to use that term. Right. And so this is where Barks, I think, is being Barks. And he's starting to say, if I were to do this, this is what I would. And so this, again, is his second of the three introductions of these. And oh, I agree with you, Sarah. I think this is Donald just being a, oh, come on, Donald. You got a girlfriend named Daisy. What are you doing? Yeah, I did. I never really thought of it, but that's a good point. It's kind of magical 1.0. It um, is. As as hoary and like dusty and simple <laughs> of a cliche as this is, I do love the moment where she just like transforms. He asks her, what's your phone number, Cuddle Dove? And <laughs> you can just sense her shrieking at witchcraft 1313. Give me a buzz sometime, sucker. I, I love I love that. Yeah. She's just she's delightful right there. Um, I've been and- witched. <laughs> yeah. And and so, you know, Donald, she almost gets away, but Donald catches him with a lasso um, and they all fall off the broom. And I, I do love that panel with Beelzebub, how he just kind of looks on at them helplessly and, and sobs gently to see them all fall. I love how Barks personifies the broom here. Yeah, Beelzebub has a lot of personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I, I also love her her line after he triumphantly takes it back as she says, that laugh, that sneering laugh, I'll change it to a thousand tears. And we get we get this great upgrade now of the witch's brew. They're adding what are what are we adding to it, Warren? Well, they're adding they're adding a very unique item. She uh, wants more owl feathers. Uh, and a derby hat. What's what's the derby hat for, Warren? 
Oh, that's for style, boys. Style. That's great. That's that's that, so barks. To me, that is like, yeah, especially the way she says it to the boys. And they're so innocent. Like, and they got one right away, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I love and, that line. That's probably one of my favorite panels, too, is it's oh, style, boys. It's awesome. And then the last ingredient, Sarah. Oh, the, uh, oh yeah, go ahead. Poor, poor Beelzebub yeah. contributes the last ingredient. The final ingredient, unfortunately is one of the straws from Beelzebub, from his broom. I love I love poor Beelzebub's, like, expression. He doesn't have eyes or a face, but just with a couple of little sweat drops and a little eek, you really feel for, for poor old, the poor old broom there. Like, um, I've talked so much about how good, how just magnificent Carl Barks is at making these animals emote in such human ways he even did it to a broom uh-huh yeah you can see you see that he senses what's coming and he's like oh no i'm getting out of here warren you want to finish off the incantation for us sure hocus pocus evil eyes try this derby on for size Oh, it's great. It's, 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 he has a lot of fun with the incantation there, I think. And, and she ref, she tells them to stand back because he may be in an evil mood. And, uh, <laughs> and the reader learns that she's talking about her pet ogre smorgasbord, better known as Smorgy the Bad. You guys, He's what, what good... do you think of Smorgy the Bad here? He's got some good piercings. <laughs> he does. I absolutely love everything about Smorgy the Bad. Is is such a Carl Barks creation, and the Derby hat just adds the final touch. Oh my God! Of the Derby hat balancing on top of <laughs> one of the horns. Yeah, this this is one of those situations where it's it's almost pointless to try to describe over an auditory medium, but like. He, he's an ogre. He's got these oversized face. He's a cyclops ogre. He has one eye, two bull horns. Excuse me. He has one eye in the front and one eye in the back of his head. And he has these wild six arms. Um, and he, he is just so over the top. And I can't believe that they made him cut Smorgy from the original comic. Well, Smorgy is part of that uh, original nine-page sequence that Bart was told to cut. He was the second half, including the uh, the transition to the girl, uh, because the editors thought it was uh, unnecessary and too scary. But and, he's, <laughs> again, with how expressive he makes all of his characters... This is such a non-scary ogre to me. Even his one eye community and his and his like one tooth that comes up out of above his lip from an underbite. It's he's just he's not scary. He's no. a pet. Yeah, he's a pet ogre. He's he's not menacing at all, in my opinion. I and I don't know why. Um, but then the other little anecdote about this is that they not only yanked these nine pages out and they printed the the shorter story, but they didn't pay Barks for this either. He says many times he's quoted saying they didn't even pay me for these pages. Right. Yeah. And they, they made him draw a new story. When we did um, Donald Duck's worst nightmare, we were also going to do one called Hoblin Goblins, but you were on such a tear with Donald Duck's worst nightmare that I was like, that's, this is enough for one episode, <laughs> which was great. I love that episode. <laughs> well, but I'm anyway. glad you have me back, even though I go on such tears that we can't <laughs> even get all the content in. 
<laughs> but but you guys, I love Smorgasbord. I did find him a little bit scary when I when I saw this at age nine. Not like I was going to have nightmares, but at, at least at his introduction and the way he was introduced. But then by the end, you know, he departs in such a goofy way. I, I think Barks does a good job of diffusing him. But he... He greets Donald in the house and, you know, Donald is like initially thinks he's like a fraud, that he's a Halloweener or something. Um, but but then he realizes that he's real and Hazel eggs him on to like at this point, Donald has locked away the candy in a closet and has the key. So she's egging him on to get the key. And Smorgasbord is Warren, tell us about how Smorgie is trying to get it. Well, Smorgasbord is trying to get into the house any way he can. I mean, uh, he's got, what, how many arms? Six, eight he's arms? He's got six, but there might as well be. <laughs> might as well be more than that. Yeah, he's got six arms and he's reaching and they, they extend too. Now I can see that he's trying to get into the house any way he can to get that that key that's hidden in the book that, that Donald put in there. And everywhere he goes, the arm comes out of the most unlikely place in the home, the fireplace, to reach up. Uh, and then eventually, which is probably a pretty terrifying panel, I will say, all these mm -hmm. arms appear at once and you hear Donald uh, grabbing the jar with the key and saying, help. Um, yeah. that, and that next panel is almost as frightening. You see this long shot of Hazel saying, uh, that's it, Smorgie, thou hath cornered the rogue. Uh, yeah. Interesting form uh, there. And the uh, arms are just stretching all over the place until he grabs it, Donald by the neck, which is pretty scary. It is a little disturbing. I, I, I guess I get where the editors were coming from. But this is like, this is the wildest, like most bonkers part of this story. So yeah. it's such a shame to lose it out. And I'm so glad that it was restored. We've definitely got a pretty disturbing bit here. You know, as Smorgie leaves with the candy, Donald has this idea. He he eyes one of the firecrackers from his original prank and he paints it with jam to look like, uh, you know, a candy cane or penny right. candy or whatever and lights the fuse and tells Smorgie, here's a great big stick of candy just for you. And um, which Hazel tries to warn him away from it, but it's no good. He he says one of his only lines of dialogue. He says, um, good. Oh. And it just disappears in this violent explosion. Editors probably had a had trouble with that as well. Yeah. And, and I love I love when Hazel covers her ears. Sarah, do you want to tell us her bit of dialogue there? OK, yeah. The witch says, that's why he's called Smorgy the Bad. Thou knowest not what he's going to do. <laughs> I love that sort of resigned. Well, you know, he's he's an ogre. What are you going to do? And so Hazel gets pretty mad at this point, and she decides to take the direct approach. She barges into the house just as Donald um, locks the candy again. And in front of their eyes, he swallows the key. And she's delighted because this gives her the excuse that she needs to spray the spray directly on him, specifically on his Warren, you want to tell us about this sequence? Well, very again, this this echoes the 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 cartoon very well. Um, spraying with the the bug sprayer or the sprayer, uh, he just starts can't control his feet. The witch's brew on Donald's feet is allowing him to um, 
do whatever which Hazel tells it to do. So kick out that key. So he starts kicking himself and starts dancing wildly, if you want to, to actually try to lodge, dislodge the key from inside Donald, flipping him around like a flapjack in a pan. And then you've got these funny sequences of him bonking his head on the pans on the wall um, yeah. until he absolutely uh, uh, coughs up the key. Yeah, you know, this is this is a pretty fun sequence in the comic, but it's another example where it just pales to the cartoon, right? Oh, because yeah. this is like, this is meant to be animated um, and it's meant to be tied to the music. Like all the animation is is absolutely perfectly cued to yeah. the like folk music or square dance type music that's going on. And Barks really does his best here. Barks also knew when to stop. He had a three sequence gag that he was following on the storyboards because in the cartoon, he swallows the key three times. Here, yeah. here he says, there's only room for one gag here. Yeah, and like it, it does drag on a little bit in the cartoon, even the the feet mm -hmm. part. Maybe that's just because I'm cued by the comic not to think it. I think it doesn't last this long. But eventually, uh, he kicks it out a couple of times, kicking himself, bumping into a cactus, being dragged towards the fire, which is a little intense. And they keep almost getting the key. And then finally, he slides it under the closet. And it's the old saw of, if I can't have it, no one can have this candy. <laughs> and so the final sequence has her. She's realizing that she's got to get home pretty soon. Um, what do you think, Sarah, of her little reference there? If I'm not back on the witch's moon. It made me wonder if she lives on the moon or if there's like a specific other moon. Do we know about this moon? Like the planetary geologist in me like picked up and was like, uh, does she, where is this moon? Is it in the asteroid belt? That's not a moon. Do we have a moon that we just don't know about? Do the, the witches keep it secret? What's going Definitely, on? Uh, sorry to I talk over. I want to send over. a NASA mission. <laughs> it, it wouldn't be Bark's first secret moon. But yeah, I, I, that stood out to me. It, it really implies a little bit more backstory. It's kind of neat that he threw that in. Yeah. But, but yeah, she's got time for one more try. Do you want to tell us, Sarah, about her, her last attempt here? From somewhere, she pulls out some iron pantaloons to give him enough weight to knock down the door. Which is just like, I mean, I, I don't know why they're called iron pantaloons. It's like a full like suit of armor. Like, yeah, I think it's just Barks being Barks using a cute nickname for um, for a suit of armor. Oh, OK, I, I like in, in the um, in the cartoon. This has such a nice sense of rhythm, right? Where she's like, now take a long start about a mile or two it's very right. it's it's musical right um and it's very catchy and it's a pretty spectacular it's this works pretty well in both of them for me i think i like af after he does the expected thing and crashes from a great distance into the uh, into the closet destroying the closet door and probably some of the wall around it you know he raises the white flag of surrender <laughs> Do you want to um, read her dialogue there, Warren, that starts with thou miserly hoarders? Yes, yes, yes. So she points at Donald and says, thou miserly hoarders must learn that on Halloween, the goodies belong to ghosts and goblins. Thou hath to treat. I love what Donald says after that, though. This is still plain robbery, you know. Yeah, then... Beelzebub has the final word, if you want to call it that, and taps him on the head, and he just 
Gleep falls over. I love it. A little comic violence to close it out. And and we've got one more page in the story itself. And it's it's a little bit discordant, right? It's a little weird because we've got the boys celebrating and Hazel laughing, you know, that Donald better have learned his lesson. Um, and Sarah, why don't you close us out? So the, the kids are so excited because their loot sacks are filled with candy and Hazel promises with her, you know, thumb in her, pointing her thumb over to Donald that from every Halloween that he has learned his lesson and he will fill their sacks forthwith. And a kind of bruised up, battered Donald says, I'll say next year I'm going to be a goblin too. So they fully converted him. He's not just going to pass out candy. He's going to get into the Halloween spirit and dress up as a goblin. And then the witch, you know, calls it a day and flies off it, you know, in, into the moon. I don't know if that's her secret moon or if it's just like a really nice image with the witch silhouetting in front of the moon and um, morning comes and it's all is right with the world. And that's the way Barks wanted it. I mean, if you read, I read some of the criticism on this, and and that last page was all Barks. Um, I don't know what he looked at and referred to from the storyboard from the cartoon, but it's very different from the cartoon. Because in the cartoon, Donald's out cold and the witch just takes off. And here, Donald has a little hint of humanity here. I'm going to be a better person next year. And that little narrative panel on the last splash panel, that's all Barks is writing. I, I, I like yeah. the, the story. Talking about how the posts go back to being regular posts and all the goblins become boys and girls again. It's a nice little poetic capper. I do find it a little bit odd how Donald is just totally converted and he's all like jovial now and fondly waving her off i i guess i guess donald loves a good fight so maybe he's like that That was a that was a good fight you know that was a good one Um, i'm ready to move on yeah but it's 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 an odd uh, a strangely paced story that it's easy to explain the pacing and the structure by the fact that it's a an eight minute cartoon stretched out to 32 pages of it's not bark's best work but i think when you consider the limitations that he was working with he handed in something that was quite entertaining and and recognizably you know his own What, what do you think warren how did this how did this stack up for you? You know, it's interesting because here he was interested in in launching his own uh, Doug, uh, Scrooge series, and he had already had this incredible experience creating and building up Donald's character. And then he was handed this storyboard and said, "We don't. Here's not a story idea. I don't know if he really wanted to do this. Uh, it's hard to say, but he wanted to make it his own, and I think he did. I am I'm impressed with the the additions that he did. Uh, I love Smorgie. Without that, I don't think it would have been the story that I remember. So, yeah, I, I think uh, not his strongest, but it wasn't his story in the beginning. And I have to think those little squalls or verbal battles he had with his editor would have been, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear him try to defend what he was doing. He never, eventually those lost pages were restored and we're able to see the original version. I'm very, very happy about that. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think, Sarah? I, of course, as a socialist, love to this ending because Halloween is like a socialist paradise and you get to see everybody's little like especially in the U.S. you get to see like a bunch of people with their like little like libertarian well they don't deserve the candy so I'm not going to get it but I think no I personally think everybody should get candy 
And I'm glad that that witch finally convinced him, uh, convinced Donald to participate um, because it's worth it and it makes everybody happy and everybody deserves candy. And I have taken some notes um, from this witch's playbook. So watch out for me if you complain (laughs) about people coming to your door and you don't want to give them candy this Halloween. You better not be stingy or... Or I'll be there with my all-purpose witch juice. I already know the cantation. That's right. Got to work on those whiskers of a billy billy goat, though. <laughs> I live you in got the some country. neighbors. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a fun story. Like, let's let's talk about the community, right? It's easy to imagine this one being a divisive one in the community, mm-hmm. and you know, when we consider the era that it came out in like right at the height of Bark's absolute best cluster of stories. It's definitely it's definitely ranked lower than most of the stories that it came out in the midst of. But it's still prime era Bark. So it's good for a 7.5 on Index, um, which is good for 258 out of all 41, nearly 42,000 comics. So so that's that's good. I think I think a lot of people I think a lot of people probably remember this fondly. I'll bet the Italians that read a lot more Witch Hazel stories than we did especially like this one. And let's see. So as far as other references, Witch Hazel turns up in a little bit of other Disney stuff. You know, she's my my kids like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Um, and I believe she was featured in that or the House of Mouse or something. You know, every, every once in a while, they'll make her, they'll highlight her in some of their like Halloween specials and stuff. Warren, do you have the litho? For this one, I got it last year. I was I was was really wanting that lithograph. It's it's quite remarkable. It is almost a combination of Donald answering the door uh, and being amazed by all of those wonderful creatures that he created at the top of that page. It's a it's a beautiful large litho, and yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate to have a copy of that. I don't have that one framed. It's in my. It's it's a great lithograph. It's a great painting. It, it makes me think, you know, he must have, like, enjoyed this story enough to, um, did he do two versions? Yeah, he did a couple of versions of the painting, didn't he? I believe he did. And again, it, it was one of the few that ended up as a lithograph as well, and a large one, too, which means it was one of his favorites. Right. So I... I... Do you know if it was one that someone commissioned or that he chose to paint? I don't know that. Because, I mean, my read from it, yeah, and then there was this other random painting that had smorgasbord in it, but right. not... This, this was his non-duck painting that he did of just dark creatures, and he did a few of these as well. Right. So I love to see Smorgie in there. Yeah, um, he he clearly had a blast creating smorgasbord. Oh, I love Smorgie a lot. And and then, Warren, I watched the um, DuckTales series last year, the, the new one. You know, I thought it was pretty uneven. You know, it had a few inspired moments. I thought I watched it all, but I realized that there was an episode that actually referenced the old Hazel house and that has oh. like a version. It's not, it's definitely not an adaptation of this story. It's more like referencing characters in it. But um, DuckTales oh, I... does reference, does reference this story, the the more recent of the series. Um, so yeah, you know, 
This is not the greatest Bark story, but it's definitely fun and it's neat to see every once in a while what he can do with someone else's idea. What um, what other thoughts? Did you guys have anything else you wanted to share about this one? Anything we didn't really cover? Now that you kind of, now that we've talked this out a little bit more, I do see what you mean about the parallels between this and the golden Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. And and I, I feel like, there are some people who, you know, when given constraints, can knock a project out of the park. And I feel like Carl Barks is and isn't one of them in that this is a fantastic story, you know, as just without the reference of the cartoon, it was, you know, cute and interesting, but it was also like now I can see how clearly it wasn't his own voice and how heavily editorial edited, how heavily edited he was. And and that's unfortunate because it makes it not as enjoyable. Also, I just I wish they would just like let him do his thing so he mm-hmm. could be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really get to see him kind of unleashed very often. Dangerous Disguise was probably the, like, most free to write his version of a Donald Duck story that we ever get to see. Golden Helmet came close there, I think, as well. But um, but this is definitely one of his more limited ones because he's operating off of a, right. off of a storyboard. How about you, Warren? I think the cartoon stands on its own, and I think the comic stands on its own. I think they're great individually it was wonderful to watch the cartoon read the comic several times in preparation for this episode and and because of that i have a great appreciation for carl barks's knowledge of storytelling and his love for adding what he believes the reader should see and and witness and i really believe the added sequences that he put in were absolutely necessary to keep the story moving it was extremely unfortunate that those were eliminated by the editor because they were playing it safe which makes me like carl barks even more because he didn't believe in playing it safe and and i really that's that's why i i enjoyed this comic probably more than the film um because it was it has the carl barks touch and that that was important to me but it was a great, unique uh, experience by watching the cartoon and reading the comic and discussing both of them. I really enjoyed this very much. Yeah. Well, thanks for for answering the question that I forgot to return to. Um, What do you think, Sarah? Comic or cartoon? You know, I think comic for a lot of the reasons that Warren brought up, which is so funny for me to say, because, you know, before you started this project, Mark. I, you know, hardly ever read comics. I had never read a Carl Barks comic. And now I'm I'm such a fan that I prefer his take on things rather than a little animated short. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's so neat to hear you say that, right? Once you see Donald like acting more like a human and, and less of a squawking id controlled, you know, cartoon duck, I, I think it's hard to go back, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. I am going to land on the other side. I do like this story. I love Witch Hazel, Bark's version of Witch Hazel. I love Smorgasbord, as I mentioned. But this this cartoon is is 
it's a it's it's a masterpiece like this is a great cartoon and just it's got some amazing artistry it does that thing that golden age cartoons did so well which is tie the music to the animation in this incredible way that just gets totally lost in the cartoon which in the comic book, which I think is a bit of a pale echo of the cartoon. Um, I kind of disagree with you, Warren, that I don't think the comic does stand on its own. I think I did read the comic before I saw the cartoon, now that I reflect. Because I remember, I remember seeing the cartoon that the comic made more sense at that mm. point, right? Because like the kids are randomly singing this song. Um, there are all these sequences that clearly work better in animation. I get what you, I, I think it's totally enjoyable, right? And I, I think you're right that it stands out as like something that you can still enjoy of its own accord. But I do right. think that it really benefits from, from viewing the cartoon in a way that the cartoon doesn't benefit from reading the comic, if that makes sense. It does. And I think the the animated sequences we talked about, the the broom coming back with the ducks and 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 hazel on it, uh wreaking havoc on the house and bringing up the ghosts only works really well in the cartoon. What I liked yeah. about the comic was was the humanity and a little bit more of the Barks's touch that gave it more of a of a of a Donald Duck story I like to experience. So they were both brilliant. Certainly the animated cartoon is like the Disney animated cartoons of the time. Beautifully done. And and you said about the music and the and the, the reliance on music and animation. Keep in mind, this is when he was making movies like Make Mine Music and uh, feature films like Melody Time, where they were all driven by the musical scores and animation. Right. Yeah, for sure. There's there's a couple of deep cuts. Make Mine Music, Melody Time. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, you guys, let's uh, let's wrap it up by reflecting on favorite panels. And unfortunately, this is one where I think this favors, this compares very favorably, right? Because I think there are some wildly great panels in this one. Do you guys mind if I start, though? Please. Go ahead. Because I actually, I actually want to call out this. This is this might be a little mean, but there's one panel that I noticed on this um, most recent rereading where I was like, "Ooh, that's some of the worst Barks art I've I've encountered." <laughs> in, really? Like most of these. Tell me about this, Warren. The um, page where it starts, where she's talking near the end, calling him "kids." This pigeon's pushover. Am I wrong, or is that? The very bottom left panel looks like a really lazy, not up to Bark's golden age standards, where he's kind of standing at the top of the stairs, looking down at him. Look at the feet. Look at his face. Maybe it's just the weird pose that we don't usually see him at that angle, dead on. Yeah, but that's a that's a it's a it's an interesting that really. Cool that you brought that up because uh, every other panel leading up to that frame shows a pretty traditional angry or revengeful Donald. But when you get to that panel, there's something about the shape of his eyes and the pose that's so different. Yeah, maybe I he can't put my finger on it. The rest of the page looks great, so maybe he would just wanted to finish that page up. Yeah, but he looks like like there's a Dutch angle there because she's we're we're looking through her point of view and she just got pushed right. down the stairs. So she's going to be seeing him really wonky. Look at her. Her, her hat, hat is even pushed over her eyes. Her eyes. Yeah. 
That's yeah. true. That's that's a fair point. So again, not to be like mean, because there's some amazing art in this. The the opening splash panel, that half page panel, is an easy choice. You know, with the graveyard. Really, all of the extended size panels are really cool. But I do partic- I I mentioned how much I loved her wild expression. I've got to come back to that one where she is just so delighted by that witch's brew. <laughs> I love so, that. So yeah, one. I think I think kids this stuff's loaded is is my favorite. What about you um Warren you want to go next? Well, I will echo your uh, about the larger panels. The f- opening panel is beautifully drawn. I, I mentioned this earlier. I do like the sequence with the witch's brew uh, and this one panel, which shows it's almost orange in color in my print here. And it shows her up above the pot and then a shadow of her. It's very menacing, but it's also just wonderful because she begins her incantation. I love that. I love that panel. But one yeah. of my favorite yeah. panels is the transition from her to the uh, to the woman, the duck that I said kind of reminded me of magic and dispel. I I love I love that that whole look. And then when she creates Smorgie, that one, those are my mm-hmm. those are my two. With just sort of these new creations, these new characters that appear for the first time, so much fun. Those are You're totally right about that smorgy panel. That first appearance is great. How about you, Sarah? I can't believe nobody has said the panel where she creates all of the goblins and they're yeah. just all and the ghosts. Yeah. I thought that that's why Mark was gonna was like, oh, I need to go first because everybody else is gonna choose this one. Well, yeah. I figured it was kind of a gimme. I figured someone was gonna <laughs> say it because because it really. As much as it doesn't hold up to the animated short, that that finish where he has that whole parade of them, that is delightful. They're all so different and recognizable and unrecognizable at the same time. And then the little detail of like the one pink monster with the roller skates. Yeah. That that's just that just makes me so happy. Yeah, that looks like he had a lot of fun. Excellent. Any uh, any closing thoughts, guys? I think I think we covered Wait. this really nicely. Go for it. There was one more um, with Smorgie um, in the shot where he has all of his various arms in various uh-huh. windows, and they're all coming at Donald. Um, we we talked about how scary Smorgie kind of ended up being, even as like the cutest pet ogre ever. Right. And that was for me. That was evocative of one of the formative horror shows I, I ever watched, which was the Thriller music video, the full length oh. one, where they're you know they run and they're trying to hide in the house, and then like an arm comes through a wall and like starts grabbing them. Um, obviously, this was made. 30 years before, but in my head, it evokes that terrifying moment. Yeah, totally. I could see that. Uh, and, and to tag on to, I do love the moment where Smorgie eats the firecracker and just says, <laughs> um, good. I will finally um, say my one of my closing comments here, Mark and Sarah, would be the as much as I enjoyed the cartoon and this comic, I'm still going to try to figure out why the nephews don't seem to be living with Donald. So that's going to bug me for a long, long time. We're going to go <laughs> House. I mean, what? So that's something I have to live with. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit weird. Little cartoon logic there. there awesome. Go. Well, you guys enjoy your Halloween in summer. Thank you for um, unpacking trick or treat with me. Boy, 
Next episode is going to be a doozy because we get to cover Back to the Klondike, mm. um, arguably Karl Barth's most legendary story ever by some accounts. So um, that should be a great one. But uh, people can reach out to us on the Facebook page. We now have an Insta. Um, so check in and uh, we'll, we'll be back soon. Thank you. So when ghosts and goblins by the score, ring the bell on your front door. Better not be stingy or your nightmares will come true.